You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. G'day guys, welcome to another episode of The Perth Property Show. As always, I'm your host, Trent Fleskins. And just remember, if you've got any comments or questions, you can post those on the Facebook page or you can head over to perthpropertyshow.com.au and record that question straight up. James Royce is the director of Delta Risk Solutions. Why am I talking to him today? Well, I thought it was important to get someone to help us out with an explanation on the insurance side. James is an insurance broker. I guess that's the role, the job position. Look, I didn't even know until fairly recently that there were uh, people out there, professionals out there that could assist me with things from as simple as my house insurance all the way up to professional indemnity insurance and everything in between. So James, thank you for coming in and I appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure, Trent. James, please, for all those out there who may never have heard of an insurance broker or never thought that an insurance broker might be able to help them, please give us an explanation as to what exactly you can help with. So there's a number of services that an insurance broker can provide. Uh, The main one being insurance products. That's anything from your residential insurance, which is your home, your car. Just like a mortgage broker in that case. That's right. So we can go to uh, the market and collect upwards of 20 quotes to provide our clients with the best result. Basically pairing them with a a product that's going to suit their needs and uh, at a price point that's going to be competitive. And I guess that big point there is, number one, we always want to make sure we're getting the best deal, but also making sure with a professional helping us that we're going to be insured when this happens. Oh, for sure. There's plenty of policies out there for, you know, in a residential space where you might not be covered for flood or fire. So it's important that, you know, if you do have a client or if I've got a client who's out in the hills, that they've got bushfire cover. So, you know, making sure that that's my job to go through the wordings and provide them with the proper cover. Even things like, uh, look, we have a lot of property investors that listen every week on the show, even things like landlord insurance. I reckon there's a lot of people out there that have their house insured, their investment property insured, and also would be under the assumption that they've got cover if the tenant doesn't pay, but actually they don't. Business interruption, which is basically landlord's cover, is so important. So the tenant leaves the property in an unlivable condition. You're without rent for the period of time that it takes to get that uh, property back up and running. So you know having landlord insurance is really key. And there's plenty of great providers out there that can come to the come to the party and provide a good policy and a good good price. Now I cut you off earlier on the list of things that you uh, can help with because I'm I was so interested in the house <laughs> stuff. Keep going with that list. So anything from risk management. Risk management's partnering with a business to provide them with advice around how they can lower their risk profile. What's an example of, of risk? So risk, they might be storing hazardous goods on, on the property you know, and making sure that that's in a uh, temperature controlled room, um, that they've got adequate fire, fire procedures. Might be a labor hire company, ensuring that they employ pe- when they employ people, they're going through the right processes uh, and inductions. So that would be a strategic assistance, consulting there, doing an analysis of a company and where their risk points are and then pointing them out and making sure that they've understood that risk and also assessed it to a point where they're either going to do something about it or at least sit there and know that it is is going to be prevalent until that business. Yeah, definitely. And look, do all insurance brokers do that or is that simply a part of what some insurance brokers might have in their arsenal? Look, most insurance brokers should be doing that. And that's just part and parcel of the insurance broking service. But you know, if you if you're going through an online portal to 
grab to grab your uh, insurance, then that's potentially not happening. Like a financial planner, I guess, and an, a mortgage broker, you have to do that fact find where you're understanding the client and then that would be the best position to get yourself in as a consultant to be able to uh, recommend the right products. Is that what this risk management service is? It's getting uh, the best understanding of that client, This, in this case being a business, to be able to then provide the right products. Yeah, for sure. I mean, sitting down with a client and going through what their operations are like, who they are, what they do, is really key to providing them with the right uh, advice and the right services. What other types of insurance should we be thinking about both as a mum and dad property investor, but also a lot of people who are property investors are also small business owners? Mum and dad property owners uh, should be making sure that they are adequately insured. So being underinsured is a big issue and that potentially reduces the amount that you're going to get paid out in the event of a claim. So that's just for house insurance? Yep, so if you're underinsured, say the property's worth $500,000, but you've only got insured for $300,000, you're not going to get paid out enough to get that property rebuilt and recover your loss, basically. Okay. From an SME point of view, an overlooked product is business interruption, which I just spoke about before. Business interruption basically safeguards clients when they have claims and it, it covers their income basically for the period of their asset is not functioning. Okay, so that brings up another idea of mine and I wonder whether insurance brokers can help with this. I'm a part of an amateur sports uh, a soccer team, soccer club, and we've had people come down before saying, look, if you break your leg playing soccer, there's a product out there for you that if you're a tradie who needs his legs to get work done every day, we'll cover you X amount of dollars for a certain amount of weeks whilst you're getting back on your feet. Do insurance brokers have the ability to help with things like that? Uh, car insurance as well. All these things things that you can bundle up as a service or as an insurance broker, like a mortgage broker, specifically only to help, able to help with certain types of products like houses or PI insurance or business interruption insurance. So general insurance brokers like myself, we um, can provide pretty much everything apart from life insurance and TPD. So because that's is, a financial planner that's service, That's a financial right? planner yep. service. That's okay. Right. Yeah. So you could really, I guess there'd be a lot of people out there who have gone and gotten their car insurance from someone because on the day they did that online, generally they got the best quote from someone and then they went to a different company when they went and bought another house and got their insurance there and then they got their insurance somewhere else for their investment property and then they've got different insurance for their PI and uh, the list goes on, right? I assume that, that there that would be... all the time. That, and I'm yeah. sure, I'm, I assume, and I haven't asked you this before, but I, I assume that a big part of the service as an insurance broker would be able to amalgamate a lot of these into one company who might be able to provide a much cheaper premium across these products for you to have the whole business. The the convenience of having an insurance broker is that it's a one-stop shop for all your insurance. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that all your insurance has to be with QBE or all your insurance has to be with um, a, a specific underwriter. It's about making sure that your insurance broker is taking care of all your insurance. We only have to come you only to, have to, come to We to don't have to call That's the right, call centers. Yeah, 100%. How do you charge as an insurance broker? Insurance brokers are paid a commission on most insurance policy placements. Just like a mortgage broker or a financial planner is? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. So we're not paying you to set up our house insurance or our PI or whatnot. It, it comes out of the policy uh, in the same way that mortgage broker would get paid uh, from your home loan. That's right. Um, look, unless otherwise agreed. Because yeah. uh, there, there are policies out there that are very complex uh, and you know require a lot of work. So there can be fee components that are... Um, that I assume are, that generally would apply to your 
big business clients who therefore will be asking for much more sophisticated services than yeah, definitely. Us, that's, us general mum and dad investors. Oh, for sure. And I mean, that's for, uh, you know, 50 plus person entities. Yeah, okay. Yep. And I think that is expected in general anyway. Can you give us an example of a normal client of yours who you would work with on a daily basis uh, who is benefiting from your service? Yeah, sure. It would generally be the tradie with one or two vehicles and their business insurance that goes along with that. So whether they're a plumber or an electrician, they have to have public liability and a PI policy and maybe a workers' comp policy if they've got an employee. And then also assisting them with their home and contents insurance and... Uh, two cars. Yeah, two cars. Exactly, exactly. Yep. So putting, putting it all together for them saves them time and money. Just a really short one today, obviously, but I really thought it was interesting and important to get someone from your industry like yourself in to help us out with understanding that because even for me, it's a fairly new idea and I really do see the value in the service of an insurance broker. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming in and we'll have you in again to talk more, I think, and more in-depth insurance broking and insurance industry uh, information and changes in the industry as things go on in the future. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. This one's an interesting suburb for me. It's not somewhere I've purchased before, uh, but it has been somewhere I'd like to have purchased uh, in the past and just haven't found an opportunity on the development side. Given the state of play Tewitt Hills in, it's really one of the more mature development suburbs. Most of the properties there have already been developed into something denser than it was originally, uh, with a, a few options left on that development side or the, uh, the full block family home side. To find out more about this suburb, we've got, as always, our number one agent in. That's Dom Ferraro from Able Property. Dom, thanks for coming in. Thanks very much. Dom, let's talk about some history. Let's talk about some fun facts on the pre and post-war side and, and get some information as to how this place started. No worries, no worries. Look, Chewett Hill, as the name suggests, was named after the Chewett trees that once grew extensively through the area as far back as 1800s, I, I believe. Not many around these days? Uh, look, I know of three that are on the corner of... Banksia and Lawley Street, just uh, near the Chewett Hill Primary School. So they're, they're massive trees. They're, they're, they're good to go and have a look at, actually. Would you reckon they'd be over 100 years old? I'd have to say so, for That'd sure. That size. Yeah, massive. okay. Tell me something else about Chewett Hill that I didn't know. According to some locals, uh, the Dog Swamp also was a part of that area where these trees also stood. So back in uh, 1872... I believe the road was put through to go out to uh, to Wanneroo, and these trees will act as landmarks for those people making their way out, which seemed like a, a long way out of the city at that time. So Wanneroo Road, I assume it was yeah. called, yeah. that was there 140 years ago, well, or, or, the, or, thereabouts, or thereabouts, and Tewitt Hill, with its big Tewitt trees, were, were essentially a safe passage yeah. through. Yeah, but I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't uh, a bitumen road. Mate. No, <laughs> no I'm guessing it wasn't cars either. Through a swamp. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Tewitt Hill, has it always been the same? Has it changed and morphed over time in terms of the, its location and size? Uh, look, it, it was spread out a little bit further. Um, you might be aware that the TV stations, Channel 7 and Channel 9, were out at the top of the hill there in what is Dinella or, or Nolamara. So it did spread out that far, but it, it cut back now to Morley Drive, Wanneroo Road, Main Street and uh, and Hodgson Street. So it's about a 2K radius there. So not the biggest suburb, the biggest but not suburbs. the smallest. No. So no. On, on our boundaries here are Joondana to the south, yep. we've got Yokine to the east, yep. Nolamara to the north, and Balcatta on yeah. the west. And Osborne okay. Park. Yep. Also. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now I've got my bearings. We've got okay. a couple of cafe strips there. We've got Main Street there. Main Street is the main, yeah, the, the popular cafe strip, which is uh, getting better as as time progresses. You know, we're getting more urban infill into those areas, and, and people are starting to use those cafes more. And activation is the is the word that 
comes to mind at the moment. That's well, it's what we do. need, and I yeah. think uh, it, it, I think it's good to bring this strip up as an underutilized opportunity, especially yep. for the city of Stirling, where you've got the infrastructure there. Yep. Let's start getting more people in there. There's That's enough it. people in this medium density suburbs like Balcatta and Tewitt Hill mm-hmm. to easily sustain a lifestyle that they don't have to drive to Mount Hawthorne for. It is a shame because there are some popular spots there in, in Tewitt Hill that I've been to and they're great. That's well, you've cool. lived there a while, haven't you? I lived there for 16 or so years and also have personally done some own, my own developments in that area because I believe in that area. So, yeah, yeah that's a great spot to be. Very right. central. Who were the people that were first moving into Tewitt Hill? Are they still around these days? Um, look, in the early settlements, um, you know, we had people dairy farming, you know, in that area. And mm. um, in more recent times, we've got the market gardens. But I've spoken to a... There's one gentleman down on Waddle Street who's been, I reckon he's 150 years old, but uh, I've spoken to him a number of times. He's always good to say that he remembers cows in the area and paddocks and, you wow. know, and when, when one of the road was a, was a dirt track. So and Dog Swamp was actually Dog a swamp. Dog Swamp was an actual swamp. But yeah. post-war, you know, we started to see blocks being developed, the quarter-acre lots where people built their own houses. Uh, Isn't it interesting yeah. to think of a place like Tewitt Hill yeah. being somewhere like a Banjup or yeah, a, or out of or Thomas a Road? Or yeah, Thomas Road. Yeah, Isn't yeah. it amazing? Because yeah. right, that's where our generation is looking yeah. at going. Yeah, I that's reckon. Right. I reckon that will split up into blocks soon. That's yeah. what Tewitt Hill was like <laughs> 70, 80 years ago. Correct, correct. So I'm not sure, sure about their transport back in those days. But well, it probably felt the same. <laughs> horse and cart. Yeah, well, from Tewitt Hill to Perth probably feels like. Thomas yeah. Road to Perth. So these days. you know, go post will you started to see well actually before that you there were little cottages that you would see, but then your quarter acre blocks it started getting bigger homes. But even so now you wouldn't see too many of those post war homes anymore. There's probably three or four left in the area wow. that I can think of. The rest have been developed and increasingly at the sixties and seventies when we started to see a real boom in that area. Is that when they started developing as a rezoning in that area or is yeah, that where you just saw more of an infill? You know, duplex. Yep. Not so much the quads uh, in that area, but you know, sixties you started to see flats also. Well, we've still got some. It was st- there's still some around. North Beach Drive. North Beach Drive, yeah, is is very prominent with those type of flats, um, which were, look, I guess, were an entry point for you know for young people at that time. Mm. Oh, they so still it is are. today. So yeah. it is today. Do you think they're still uh, they still have utility those flats, or do you think it's time to go? There's so many of them, mate. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a hard uh, you know a hard job to get rid of. Although there's so many different owners, but look, there's new legislation coming out with the change in strata that mm. you know it may not need to be unanimous to mm. to sell those. Well, that, that, that presents an opportunity to buyers in itself, doesn't it? Have yep. you seen any of that coming about where people are starting to bank them up? Uh, not too much into it. There's, there was one complex sold as a whole, but they were all, it was only one owner. Okay, that's one guy who's done pretty well for himself. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yep. that's a lot of rent. Yep, definitely. All right, so we've spoken about the people that were there. Who's buying off you these days? Well, it depends on the product where quarter acre block has been developed into a, a quadruplex or a triplex. Now, the the triplex developments that have come through have a larger villa, which has a, a theatre room mm. and quite a large living space. So I'm starting to see, um, actually not, not so recent, but the last couple of years, middle-aged or retirees buy these properties. They've, they've gone away from a large block they might have had out a bit further in Kingsley, Padbury, Dunn-Craig areas where they've got a big block and a pool and a garden and trees and all this maintenance. They've had enough. The kids have gone and now they're, they're choosing to buy these. Um, look, they're in between a villa and a house. They're about mm. a 
I don't know, a couple of hundred square metres. Mm. So you can entertain. You can entertain in there. And, and one of the big things I know, I've sold to a couple of European people, that as long as they can get their big dining table mm. in the living space and, and have all their family there, they're happy. Yep. And that little extra, well, let's say little, but the extra room for the theatre, which is separate to the you know the living space, which they can they can close. It off. makes so, a big difference. It yeah. turns it from being a unit into into a home. Just yeah. not it's not yeah. a massive. Yeah. So home. Yeah. surprisingly, we started. I've started to see the old, not the old, the middle aged to, to retirees buy those, whereas traditionally I would have seen young professionals buy them. Why do you think that's balancing out? Is there less of an incentive with the stamp duty? The stamp duty is certainly a, a, an issue for for young buyers. You know, particularly when you get into the six range. You know, that's another twenty odd thousand dollars that they've they've got to come up with. Mm. So a lot of the ones that I've sold recent times have they've sold a home, they have the money, or they're a cash buyer. Whereas mm. the, once you start getting into the sixes, it's it's a bit of a stretch. Okay. So, do you think that uh, I'm pushing you towards this, yep. Dom? The changes that have happened mm. recently. Do you think that's had an, an impact on your marketing to it, Hill? Given oh, look, that a lot of that stuff is that 400s range. Yeah. Look, I've I've been selling in that area for some time, and what has happened probably in the last three or four years since the government took away the first homeowners grant for established property, we've seen a real decrease in in young buyers wanting to buy that established property purely for that you know that seven thousand dollars and. Also, the stamp duty threshold went from five hundred thousand to four thirty. Where are they going? Do you think? I think they're going the further out. Yeah. Um, you know, having to, to travel, Elkamos comes to my mind. And those types of areas for four hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand dollars, you can buy a, a brand new home. Mm. All right, it's 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 further out, but they like get the ocean. There are a lot of people these days yeah. who are not that bothered by being close to Perth. Mm. The might be their town centre. You know? Well, look, Junior Love certainly has all the infrastructure there, doesn't it? Mm. But a lot of people that I've sold to want to come back. So they've gone out there and realised, hey... This, the dream isn't as exciting yeah. as it looks. It depends yeah. on your work, I guess. But CBD uh, and, you know, the, the Osmond Park is is the next biggest, you know, business district too. So a lot of people in those areas it's that quick, are working. Quick jump over uh, mm. over the freeway. Yeah, and you've got the Glendalough train station yep. that's close by and, and the Stirling one too, so... All right, let's get more specific on those price points like we always do. The cheapest thing we can buy is a flat. As a flat, I saw a property on North Beach Drive come in at 145,000. That's a a one bedroom flat. And that was renovated, so it looked quite nice. That's ridiculous. (laughs) It's cheap. But there are some in that pocket um, which have sold, you know, fairly recently that are two by one, unrenovated for a similar price, you know, 150 to 170. Wow. It's uh, it's a cheap way to get in the market and, and be still very close to the city. Okay. Uh, interesting option for those mm-hmm. who obviously want to get in cheap. Yep. We're going now into the three-by-ones that are you know a couple of decades <laughs> old or a few decades old. Yep. Three-by-ones, interestingly, were at the 500 mark at some point. But as soon as the threshold dropped to 430, that uh, seems to be where the... It, it just brought it straight it just down brought there. It straight down, I mean, progressively, but... It seems to be that they won't go any further than that four thirty mark yeah. because of that, you know, threshold. Not worth it, yeah. So, but look, you can get them cheaper. Don't get me wrong. It's depending on the size. Yeah. You can get a three by one as low as three fifty. Yeah, wow. They are awesome value. I, I recall selling them the smaller ones four fifty. Mm. You know, it's there crazy. Some awesome value there. But we've got yep. those new. The cool thing about Tuart Hill is yep. you've got this multi generational development. Yep. So we've gone from the flats to the three by ones, yep. the three by twos, yep. and the three by threes of the theatre. Yep. How much are these ones going for? So your three by two without the theatre, you know, can be between five and five twenty five, and then so the ones with the theatre, they they they're around the six, even as high as six forty. 
Wow. Depending on the level of finish. Yeah. And yeah. is that getting further south to the Jundana side of Tewitt Hill? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. more particularly, say, Cape Street side, we always do quite well. But look, it sometimes depends. It depends on what's available at the time in your competition. Um, what's available in June Dana? What's available in June Dana? What's yeah, available Yokine. in Yokine? Yep. That's what your buyers are doing. So they're not. I would have thought, Dom, that yeah. people aren't specific about I need to live in Tewitt Hill no. or I need to live in Balcata. No. The whole area is fairly homogenous. That's isn't right. It? Correct. Correct. So I find buyers coming to our inspections are, are looking, you know, between Yokine, June Dana, and Tewitt Hill. Yeah. And even they'll branch out to um, to Inaloo. Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. another spot. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, Development blocks, can we get... Obviously, I know that there's there's handfuls of these sort of things left. Yeah. But if they ever came up, if they ever do come up, they're what hard, are we paying? They're hard to come by, and I'm always looking for new opportunities for, mm. for development sites. But look, I think the last one to sell was 820,000, and that's 1,012 square metres. Uh-huh. A couple of months before that, there was another that sold for 860. What am but, I putting on that? Uh, well, that, if that's that was an R thirty lot, so you put three nice villas on there. Okay. Yeah, and I was talking that one that sold for eight twenty was only a couple of years ago. I had an auction across the road, and it sold for nine fifty, wow. so considerably um, lower than you know a few years ago. So there's it's, some real opportunities. for it that. It seems like if you can get one, I'm just trying to reverse and engineer yeah. the, the numbers in my head. Yeah. It seems like if you can get one, even at today's prices of what you're selling them for, you can get it at eight hundred and something. There still some, seems to be something in it for the developer. Well, as we say, for the developers, a little bit of fat in there for them, yeah. not as much as they used to uh, make. But look, you know, a developer or, or a builder, they need to buy blocks to, to have a job. Hmm. So they're always chasing new opportunities. So as time progresses, it, there's not too many left. Yeah. Where are your clients on the development side looking if they're not looking into a hill anymore? Is there still opportunities around that June Dana, Yokine well, area? You, there is, but there's also some changes that City of Stirling have made that you, you've got a tree policy now. Mm. Um, they've had to add trees into some of these lots so the villa becomes smaller. So some of them I've spoken to actually boycott the area and have yeah. gone further out. Just getting out of the council. Getting out of it because what they traditionally plonked on these blocks mm. isn't the same. So we are getting a smaller unit, but... I think City of Stirling recognise that we need we need more green, you know, green. Well, I think Stirling, Stirling have shot themselves in the foot here. They went way too far. Mm. They pushed the needle way too far on Balga, yep. Westminster, Nolamara, and yeah. Tewitt Hill to a point as well. Yeah. And now they're trying to repeal, pull back all yep. this, this sort of density movement. But it's at the expense of progress as well, I think. Uh, what, what I'm finding, especially on my side, mm. I'm trying to stay clear on a development space of Stirling in some aspects and moving to... Joondalup and uh, you know, surrounding councils, just because there seems to be less of a, a tight squeeze. Do you have any well, there opinions was, on that? There was some amendments to R40 where they allowed multi-res development. For a while? Yeah, for a while, going, I think it was 2013. And some of the first people that jumped on board that did very well. But I think everybody thought there's a dollar to be made here. Mm. And a lot of people jumped on board and I don't think the city of Stirling realised what was well, going to happen. Getting themselves into, yeah, yeah. what they were getting themselves into, and look, like you said, Balga and, and Westminster, Nolamara had a lot of R forty in there, so a lot of these properties popped up. Quite a number of them, Chewett Hill, and just getting back to that development um, opportunity. Some of those blocks that were sold at eight hundred, or selling at eight hundred today, I was selling them at one point two because yeah. they allowed multi res. Yeah, and I don't know how is. many doors I knocked on at the time and said, "Hey, there's some changes happening here. There's a good opportunity to make some money." and Look, I had I had the um, developers on a list, and we sold four or five in a few months. 
you yep. know, back in 13, 14. You'd hope that a lot of them got on and got it done before the yeah, then changes. Unfortunately, I had a few of the of the developments to sell after all the apartments. So there was it was a bit of a glut. Mm. But that's changed. Um, you know, they, they're not allowing that anymore. So the council and the locals lobbied against WAPC and they, they stopped it. Well, so, it makes sense because yeah. they seem to have not gotten the parking thing right. And no. I think the whole point of this is parking. Certainly. You can't go and slap these boutique apartment developments, which I think are fantastic, but you can't go and do it and put your head in the sand about the fact that most people are a boyfriend and girlfriend, husband and wife, yep. uh, you know, housemates who have got two, two, cars. two cars. And where are they going to go? They're on the street. They're on the street <laughs> and they, they're clogging up the streets. That's that's what has, has annoyed most of the residents. And the other thing is a lot of these properties were single level and then you get this monster eight apartment complex right next door. And yeah. Look, they get over it, but it's it's changed. Sometimes people don't like that change. So, but look, it's only on Wannery Road now in Main Street. That's that where it allow- should be. Yeah. And that, yeah. and that's the point because yeah. generally, when it's on those major streets, yeah. uh, you can restrict the the car issue because yeah. obviously they can't park on those roads anyway. No. Uh, so you have only certain types of tenants or buyers buying there, knowing you can only get one one car in there, that's and it. that's just the part of the the deal. That's true. One last question, Dom. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're going to ask you for the median house price. Well, according to Rewa stats, which follow quite well because all that information is uh, is quite quite accurate, it's five hundred and forty thousand for Chewett Hill. Okay, now that would be quite skewed by the high level of uh, units in there, That's obviously. Right. Yeah. What would you do with that if you had that in your pocket? I would probably put a little bit more in. Okay. Um, I'd probably go to the six range because there are a couple of opportunities uh, in the air at the moment where. Look, the block was a thousand and twelve square meters, but someone's chopped it off and and built a villa or or a, a property at the back, and there's six hundred square meters still available, an older home on there, but you still have the land content, so you're getting in the area for for six hundred. Getting land value. You're getting land value. Yep. But you you're gonna have to spend a you know a few dollars on the homes. That's an interesting perspective. Not yep. many people have considered that, but you know what? I guess that is just the reality, and we're always talking about the maturity of the market. And on a suburban level, there aren't many more mature suburbs, especially in development spaces, yeah. than Tewitt Hill. Yeah. I, I struggle to think of a suburb that started before Tewitt Hill and has yeah. continued on with Tewitt Hill in terms of development. So uh, that's what you have to start being creative at that level on, yeah. uh, thinking about making a good investment in a suburb like Tewitt Hill. Tewitt Hill, I always promote it because I, I live and breathe it. But um, when uh, buyers you know, come to our inspections, they ask me, you know, what do you predict in the future? And I'll always say that, if you look at you know big cities like uh, Sydney and Melbourne, if you're this close to the city, you, you can't go wrong. You know the, the prices are triple what they are in uh, in Perth. All right, it's going to take some time for us to catch up, but that's where pro- uh, progression is going to go. I I believe so. Well, uh, the good point of Tewitt Hill, especially yeah. given its its uh, fairing to Morley Drive and Wanneroo Road mm-hmm. and whatnot, these this is where the whole MetroNet idea is coming in around here so to be on that border and a part of that inner ring of metronet i think you can't really go wrong it's certainly a space to keep your eye on dom future dom thank you very much for coming and i appreciate your time uh love to have you in again and chat about the future thanks very much appreciate it thank you for listening to another episode of the perth property show If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!